Welcome. Thank you. Uh, so I normally like to start by getting a bit of background, so about you as a, as a person and how you got into the business. So you've got a funny accent, but like me, so where are you from? <laughs> also a funny accent. So I grew up in, in Durban, South Africa, moved to Australia about 12 years ago to finish off my, my university degree in Melbourne, um, came across to, to Sydney. And that was in accounting? That was in accounting. Okay. Um, strange choice, but, but... Why did you want to be an accountant? I didn't, right. uh, to be honest. <laughs> That's why it was a strange choice. I, uh, it's probably a good lesson in, in sort of choosing a degree that I, I thought would be helpful rather than doing something I wanted to do. Um, so I think you know, the base, basics of accounting was hugely helpful. Um, it was uh, not, not, my, not my passion, to, right. to put it lightly. So you went high school, uh, Durban... Melbourne for uni? I actually, I took a gap year. Okay. So I went across to, to the UK. Okay. And spent a year traveling, working in London, traveling okay. around okay. Europe, which all, was... All good South Africans and Aussies. Are we all do, London, yeah. And, yeah. And absolutely the best year of my life. Okay. And best learning experience of my life. So absolutely loved it. And then, right, so Melbourne, accounting. Melbourne, accounting. You obviously finished your degree, came out. I finished what? my degree and then actually, funny enough, moved back to South Africa. Right. Um, and had a, what I thought was a brilliant idea at the time. Yep. and went to go start a, a chain of laundries in South Africa, okay. uh, which was, again, an interesting choice. <laughs> um, basically, we, we looked at sort of the, the changing environment in South Africa and thought, well, there's, there's absolutely going to be a need for, for laundries in the future of South Africa. Um, taught me a, a very important lesson that, that some businesses are really hard, um, yep. and laundries happen to be one of those. Um, and then made the decision, grew a chain of laundries, but then ended up making the decision. So to were, these, were these small laundries, like corner shops? Yeah, so like small laundromats. Okay. So, um, wow. yeah, just, just your basic laundromat. So what was your key learning from that? Um, I guess the key learning was, was, was how tough sort of a retail business can be. Right. Um, you know, how, how hard it was to run a business without cash flow. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was me and a friend. We were 22 at the time. Uh, we didn't have much money. So right. getting, getting by month to month was... Was tricky, yeah. Um, and you know, we, we did build it up. We were able to, to start a second and third laundry, yeah. Um, but it, it just taught us how hard it was to, to build a business without cash flow. So, I mean, you, you'd obviously had a you know, you're a world traveler. You got a good degree from Melbourne Uni. Uh, why didn't you join PwC or Deloitte, for example? Like, you know, uh, funny enough, my first job in Australia was at Macquarie Bank. Okay, um, and uh, I did about six months. Right. Macquarie Bank. Um, so you liked it that much? I loved it, yes. <laughs> it, uh, it actually was an amazing culture, right. funny enough. And, uh, but I'm glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a great experience and, and a great learning experience. But um, you, you kind of just know if, if that's meant for you or not. Um, and I learned very quickly that just wasn't the environment for me. Right. Um, but, but still a great environment. All right, so you did take a corporate job and you realized that was not you. I took two corporate jobs. Okay. My, my second corporate job was in an accounting firm. I thought I'd give it one last crack. I ended was up that one of the big four? Uh, it was actually a company called PKF, which okay, is now BDO. Yeah. And um, I had a great accounting partner there. And um, I actually ended up resigning twice in three months. Okay. Um, so <laughs> uh, they were very generous to, to allow me to come back. Um, but, but again, you know, it's a, it was a good education in the sense that there's, there's probably no better way to learn a business than, than auditing that company. Right. So it's, it's, it was an amazing experience as a young guy to, to walk into a business. Um, walk into the CFO's office and say, can you, can you tell me everything about your business? Yeah. So amazing lesson, but again, after three months, I said, this is, this is not for me, and, and went to go start my next business. Right, and, and so when you were, you know, go back to school, I mean, like, were you, did you expect to be running your own business and be a gun entrepreneur uh, when you were young? 
Not that you <laughs> know, but yeah. Um, I think I think I always did have a passion for business, so I always saw that as as a route I was eventually going to take. I, I think I knew that, and I I did test the other the other way. I think it's important to know because because business isn't for everyone, um, and it just happened to be suited for me. Yeah. But I think I think trying a job um, and you know seeing exactly what it was rather than only going into business was was something I wouldn't have replaced. Right. All right, so you'd struggled, it sounds like, with your laundromats in South Africa. So what happened after that? Struggled with the laundromats. Um, ended up selling my share in, okay. in the laundromats. Came, did, did you get some cash out? I got a little bit of cash out. Oh, that's in, a win. In rands, uh, which, <laughs> which, is, which is not a lot in dollars. Um, and, and, and moved over here with, with, a, with a little bit of pocket money. Okay. Um, as I said, got, got jobs and then yeah. started my, my next business. And that was Prosper? No, my next no, okay. my next business was um, strangely in, in, in the world of women's fashion fixits. Okay, uh, so I had a had a business called Hollywood Fashion Tape. I don't know if any of the the women in the audience have heard of it. It's a it's a double sided tape that helps keep your your clothes in the right place. Okay, um, so it's so, so definitely definitely not fine. Oh, that's niche. It was niche actually. <laughs> it was niche, but strangely, strangely, very much used. So that that was an absolutely awesome experience, and and, and really. So you had to learn about supply chain and manufacturing and and and, and women's challenges. Yeah. So yeah. Right. So it was it was a, it was an absolute amazing experience. Um, you know, we started the business with um, I had an amazing partners who, who were a little bit more experienced than me and yeah. gave me a crash course in, in business, and we, we we ended up getting amazing distribution. We went through about. 5,000 stores, we were in you know, Maya, DJs, we went to pharmacy. Um, you know, fashion, I think, is, is, is the best way to learn business because yep. it changes every day, pretty yep. much. And you know, every day is a new day and you have to keep reinventing the business. So I had, a, uh, again, um, a challenging time in that business, but, but couldn't have asked for a better learning experience. How, how did you fund this business? Um, actually, took a, took a loan from, from family. Right. Um, it didn't, didn't need a lot to, to start. Um, so no, no equity finance in this one. No, we, we, we were lucky in the sense that um, the business partners that brought me on had sort of kicked it off, okay. um, and they were sort of quite successful in, in other ventures, and just needed a, a sort of young, hungry person to come in and, and run okay. the business. Um, so so joined them, and, and they got to uh, they got to work with me, and, and you know allow me to sort of give me a chance to actually. Okay. Take so a few years in this business, then what happened? Did you sell out? We ended one? up selling out, yeah. Right. So it's, um, it, I guess the challenge with that business was just building scale. Yeah. Um, it had great demand. We we sort of taken as far as we could. We we went through Asia yeah. with the business. So we we went everywhere from uh, Hong Kong to to, to Tokyo. Yeah. Um, sold it into to all those markets, but it just wasn't something we could ever get past a certain point. Yeah. Um, and decided to you know it wasn't a business I loved. Uh, so we decided to sell it, and it gave me a, a year to decide what I wanted to do next. Okay. Uh, and is this Prosper now? That's Prosper. Right. <laughs> cool. So, uh, you, I mean, so before Prosper, then, you kind of had two from two, which is a pretty extraordinary hit rate for <laughs> entrepreneurs. I mean, you might not have got huge amounts out. I mean, it doesn't sound like the laundromat was massive, but getting cash out of any business is a huge challenge. I've been exceptionally lucky. I mean, I've, I've been... I was close to the brink on, on both those businesses. luckiest people are also the most talented. <laughs> I, I think it was a lot of luck, to be right. honest, yeah. But um, it's, it's one of those things where um, we got close to the brink. And it's probably, I mean, the, the challenges I had in my last business was actually the, the reason why Prosper came to be. 
um, I think that was the that was where the idea was generated. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Prosper. So, what has the business changed from when you launched it, or is it ostensibly the same value proposition? I think the value proposition is mostly the same, but the business has completely changed. Um, we actually okay, so launched. Why don't you just tell us a bit about what the business is and how it does? And so essentially, I mean, we're, we're, we're Prosper's leading online business lender. Uh, what we do is we create lending products that, that solve people's greatest, business's greatest problem, which is cash flow. And we try to deliver that using technology and, and insights to make it a, a, a fast and flexible solution. I mean, I mean, at its core, every single small business, I'm sure anyone in the room who's in small business would know, you know your three core challenges are time. I think everyone's short of time, and I'm short of time, and I think I realize our customers are even more short of time. Um, everyone's looking for, for more sales. Um, and everyone's looking for, for cash flow. So whatever size your business is, everyone is always looking for cash flow. So we feel like we're solving at least two of those core problems, which is, which is time and cash flow. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, I mean, who are your customers? So your customers are this small business base? Absolutely, small business base. So it's your, it's your retailer, it's your, your restaurant, your hairdresser, your florist, um, it's your, your plumber, your electrician. I mean, it's, it's pretty much the, the most of this, the, the, the Australian economy. I mean, it represents about... Two million small businesses um, in Australia. It's about 46% of GDP, 67% of employment. So we actually reach um, a, a huge amount of the, the business community. Right. And and one of the problems you're solving is that those people cannot get debt from the existing financial institutions. Is that kind of right? I think that's one of the problems we're solving for. I think traditional banking isn't serving the needs of small business as it stands today. Um, I know in my, my last business, when, when, when we had challenges, I went looking for funding and I looked at the options that were available. And I didn't have a house at the time, so I couldn't put that up for security. So even though I had a, a reasonably good business, there was, there was no solution from the bank at that point. Um, and I looked at factoring, um, which, which is a product with its own features. Um, it just didn't suit the need. And we had this, this great business. It had cash flow. It, it, it was an asset in its own right, but there wasn't a solution. So, so it's probably the reason why we've grown so quickly is we did solve that, that, that challenge that it wasn't being serviced. But the other thing we've solved for is, is the problem of time. And by giving people a, a fast solution, you know, where, where, where traditional banking can take up to six weeks to get a decision, and that decision is often no, uh, if we can right. turn it around in a day, it opens up a huge amount of opportunities. I mean, I, I remember in our, our early days, we, uh, we worked with a, a beauty salon. Um, and they had a, an amazing opportunity. They, they could buy stock that day and get a 50%, sorry, the next day, and get a 50% discount. And that just wasn't something they could solve with, with any other finance options. Yeah. So, so we opened up opportunities to people who, who maybe, who definitely do fit into the traditional finance space, but just have time requirements that, that aren't met. Okay. And, and what, do the, uh, what do the banks think of you? Because, I mean, of this, I, don't, I can't remember their profit numbers now, but 30 billion plus between the four of them <laughs> annually. A lot of that is in lending. Absolutely. So I think, I think the banks are just following the space really closely. Um, I think they're still forming opinions. And I think it also depends, you know, when, when, when discussing, I guess, fintech as a, as a larger space, I think the banks have different views of different spaces within fintech. Um, I think Prosper is actually an opportunity for the banks. And um, we, you know, there's been some sort of public... Uh, uh, press around uh, some of the things we've done with, with Westpac. Yep. Um, and we actually view the bank as, as partnership opportunities, and I think they view Prosper in the same right. Okay. So partnership rather <laughs> than... I mean, is that... So are they just being nice to you because they're worried about you? I mean, like, what... 
Because I mean, that, that there is a significant, it must be $10 billion, say, of, of profit uh, associated around lending. And, and you ultimately, if you go the way, the trajectory you're on, will be eating into some of that. Well, I think we're opening up a new avenue for the banks. So we see it as about a, a $10 to $20 billion market that's still yet to be taken care of. Um, and I think we can do things potentially that the banks can't. And I think they see that as an opportunity. So I guess the banks have three options when they're looking at fintech in, yeah. in our eyes. Um, they can build it themselves, uh, if possible. They can buy or yeah. they can partner. Um, and we've seen a lot of the banks looking at partnering as a solution because it's A, the, the quickest way for them to, to get where they want to go. Yeah. Um, and B, they already have this huge customer base, so why not you know, share a little bit of the pie um, and still maintain yeah. you know, a strong market share? So my suspicion is that you could, if you wanted, engineer a fast exit and sell to one of these guys, but is that... I, I, you don't strike me as the sort of guy that wants to do that. <laughs> um, no, that's, that's not our roadmap. I think when we look at that opportunity of, of 10 to $20 billion and we look at where we're at um, on that journey, it's, it's, it's so early, we, we're not looking at, at, at an exit strategy at, at the moment. Right. Um, and, and everyone in the business is just super passionate about what we're doing. So it's, it's not something we, we're building just to sell. Yeah. It's something we're building because we, we believe it's a, it's a okay. great business. So I mean, let's talk a bit about your funding. So to lend money, you need money. Yes. So how did you solve that conundrum? We initially solved it with, uh, with our initial investor, um, who was a group called Entree Capital. Yep. Um, and Entree, and what are they? They're not particularly well-known? No, they're a, they're a VC out of um, the UK. Okay. Um, and they've invested in a ton of startups and, you know, everything from, um, you know, fintech, fintech companies all the way through to businesses like Snapchat. Right. Um, so, so all across the board. Um, and they, they gave us uh, a lot of rope. Um, they gave us venture capital funding to actually start the business. And, and this is quite early. This is back in 2012? Uh, yeah, exactly. This right. was 2012. So this was right at the start. Right. And they gave us enough money. I mean, we started the business just with sort of $150,000 just right. to sort of go out and, and test and learn. Um, and they gave us a deadline as well. Okay. And we started with a, a really tiny deadline. It was $200,000, which at the time we thought was a lot of money. Uh, I didn't come from a finance background. Right. And we, we quickly learned that that went in you know, a month. And we, we quickly needed more. And, and they, were, they were very um, lenient um, and allowed us to, to use that deadline to go out to experiments. They, they understood that uh, when we made mistakes, when we, when we lent to companies that couldn't pay us back, that was uh, research and development. So we, we had this amazing opportunity to have an early stage investor who, who backed myself and um, a joint CEO, uh, Bob Italia, um, allowed us to, to go out and test and learn with a, with a deadline that, that, that worked for, for a new type of lending. Okay, and so for the in two or three years, because you did take a subsequent round, which we'll talk about, but for those two or three years, you operated with what sounds like a fairly meager amount of cash. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think after that, we raised uh, another few hundred thousand dollars right. uh, just to get us through, but uh, we've always been exceptionally lean. Uh, we, we're vigilant on that. Yeah, no, we'll come back to the culture. <laughs> I want to talk so, about yeah, so we, we've always that. done a, a hell of a lot with, with very little. Right. And um, we still try to do that. Right. But, I mean, the, the core of the business, though, I mean, the way you make money, we haven't really touched on that, is just interest payments. Is that kind of... Accurate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we borrow money at a rate and we, we lend it out right. at a rate. Um, and we're, we're on balance sheet. So it's, uh, we've always had marketplace technology, yeah. but we've always decided not to go down that path. But you got to profitability or close to with the, the previous round of finance. Is that... So we, we've always... We, we've got to profitability or cash flow positive positions yep. um, 
you know, generally at, at all stages of the business. So the way we've always run it is we, we'd hire, get a little bit ahead of ourselves, um, catch up, and then, you know, reach that break-even point and then extend ourselves again. Right. Okay, so let's talk about the next round. So I think August, September last year, you probably spent most of last year negotiating it. You, yes. You announced a $60 million round. Yes. Um, so tell us about that and why and how it came about. It came about when we just sort of wanted to take the business to the next level. Um, and we, we started looking at how to do that. And we realized we need two things to achieve that. One was um, working capital equity in the business. Um, and the second thing was, was debt. Um, we actually needed the stock to actually go out and lend. Um, and we were very fortunate to find a, a lead investor who's, who's actually sitting over there, Greg Ruddock, um, who, who helped put together the, the equity deal for us yep. um, and, and brought an amazing group of um, you know, advisors and investors together to, to back us. Yep. Um, and then we went looking for, for a debt solution. Um, and we felt the, the best way to achieve that was through a securitization, um, which is, allows us to actually grow into the future. Um, and we did that through a group called the Carlyle Group, uh, which is a very large private equity group. Okay, and so w w what do you mean securitization? Like how, how does that work in your... It's, 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 essentially, it's just a, a line of debt um, where you have um, equity at the bottom and allows you to, to sell your loans into that trust. This is Prosper's equity? This would be, so this would be Prosper selling loans um, okay. into a securitization vehicle, um, and we need an equity portion at the bottom in order right. to do that. Have you seen the big short? This has got nothing to do with it. <laughs> no, no, this is the opposite, actually. Right, so um, it's a good question. I mean, look, because we're um, on the way we've set up our securitization is it's on balance sheet. Um, and if we write a bad loan, we have to pay for it. Right. So big short um, is a great example of, of when you, you don't align uh, business interests with, with risk. Um, and we absolutely take on the risk. So our job is to find ways to assess customers really quickly but make the right decision. Because yeah. if we get it wrong, uh, it costs us a lot of money. Yeah. All right. So you announced your sixty million bucks uh, funding mm -hmm. late last year. What What's been happening since? We moved to a new office, uh, yeah. so we, we grew out of the previous one. We're actually in our our sixth sixth office in yeah. four years. Um, so it's been, as I said, we've always tried to run lean, <laughs> sometimes yeah. too lean. Uh, but we're in our, our sixth office. Um, we've been able to continue continue building a, an amazing team. So we're up to. Uh, about 90 people okay. at this point. Um, and it's allowed us to upskill um, in, in a lot of the fields we needed. So from a technology standpoint, we're allowed to, we're able to, to bring in a lot, lot more engineers. Yep. Um, from a, a sales point of view, we could bring on, extend our, our business development team. Um, and then just pretty much throughout the business, just, just hire the people we wanted to hire, but previously didn't have the money yeah. for. So uh, I'm a software guy, so I mean, like, how techy is your business? Like, how, of those 90, how many are engineers? Um, I'd say about... Generally, it's about 25-30% of the business is okay. in either technology or analytics. Right. That's a fair few. Yeah. Uh, all right. And just, uh, I mean, future plans? I mean, are you going to raise more money? Are you going to go international? What's, what does the next few years look like? Well, we're very focused on Australia. Um, and until we've, you know, tackled the problem that, that exists in Australian finance, uh, we're not looking anywhere else in the world. Uh, in terms of future plans on, on raising capital... Um, because we've been growing so quickly, um, it's, it's just from a debt point of view, it's constantly need more and more debt. So there is always that discussion on when is the next time that we, we need to raise, uh, but it will be at some point in the future. Yeah. Okay, so I, I want to touch on the, the, the culture and the, the team. You know, so you're at 90 people now. You're probably yes. growing at, I don't know, 
five to ten a month, I suspect. I don't know what your current... Sometimes I'm more. Guessing. Yeah. Right. So that, I mean, that's Somewhere a, around a there, yeah. crazy pace of growth. Mm. And to get, you know, I've been there, I mean, to get from the sort of 20 to 30 people where you as a CEO knows everyone, what they're up to at the weekend and their families and everything else, up to that 90 is actually mm. quite a tough transition. So how, how have you dealt with that? you know, management layer and, uh, you know, because it is challenging for the CEO to, to go through that. Agreed. I think it's probably been our, our greatest challenge, if, if I have to be honest. I think it's, you know, you have different stages. Uh, so it used to be five of us, well, used to be just me, but there used to be five of us in an office. And um, it's really easy when you've got control of every single decision. You know, everything comes through you. It's, you're not a bottleneck because there's not that many decisions to make. Um, and then we got up to about 25 people. Um, and you can still take, take a lot of control at that point. But the change we've required to, to get to 95 people is we've had to actually build a leadership team. Um, it's, it's, it's too much for, for one person to take on. Um, and that's been a huge change, change in culture. We've had to um, you know, bring on people really quickly. We've had to find out how do we hire good people um, in a fast manner, which, yeah. which is a huge, huge challenge. And we've had to get those people working together. So it's, it's one thing to get good people into the business. Um, it's even harder to actually get them working in teams and working together. So I think our, our greatest challenge has been growing very quickly and trying to build processes and teams while doing that. Right. And it's, it's just a constantly evolving culture. So I think it was Peter Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, I mean, so <laughs> I suspect you agree with that, like having been there. But I mean, what, what is your culture and how, how do you cement that through the organization? I think that the interesting thing with culture is it, it, it keeps evolving. So where we look at it is we, we look at our values and we try, straight, we try to stay true to those values. I think culture, culture can get, you know, we've, we've got the table tennis tables and we've got the dog in the office and, and that can sometimes... It's your dog, isn't it? It's my dog, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> you can get um, that can sometimes get conceived as, as, as culture. Um, I think culture is a little bit more than that. I think, I think what we do is when we, when we hire, uh, we look for people who share our passion, share our values. Um, and as long as we bring the, the right people into the business with, with those shared values, and they come from different backgrounds, different, uh, different spaces, and, and we like diversity... But we do want that, that common values, and I think that's what creates uh, a great culture. Okay. So, I mean, just on that, so joint CEO, I mean, like, how, how did you come up with this um, job title? And I mean, how does it work? I mean, I always think that joint CEOs is uh, a challenging one. I've actually <laughs> done that as well before, and yep. I never really enjoyed it. Um, but then you look at Atlassian, and you're yep. like, okay, well, they've managed it. So how, how are you dealing with it? I think in general, in general, it's actually a bad idea, uh, if I have to be honest. It works exceptionally well for us at Prosper. I wouldn't recommend it necessarily to anyone else. And I think it, the reason it works so well for us is myself have both been there from the beginning. Um, we have very different passions within the business. I think Bo's, Bo's far more involved on, on the sales and the distribution side. Uh, my passion is actually on, on the product and, and design side. So it's, it's really easy for us because we, we both have a lot of respect for each other and, and we don't have that, that crossover um, in terms of wanting to do the other person's role. So it's, it's been seamless for us, yeah. but I think in general, uh, it sounds like you've had a slightly different experience. But oh, no, it, you had, you had a, it kind of worked, but it was back in the bad old dot-com days, so it's nothing right. was going to work. And I think the greatest challenge... <laughs> that's true. Uh, so I, think, I, think, I think the greatest challenge with the joint CEO is just people knowing who to go to right. when there's a question and trying not to double up on the work because I think a lot of the time what happens is, you know, it's uh, people are going to both CEOs asking the same question. It, it, it creates an inefficiency 
Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's worked exceptionally yeah. well for us. How, how did you meet Bo? I mean, what's the relationship there? Um, Bo, I met Bo through a mutual friend. Um, and, and actually, when I first founded the business, I, I got everything set up. I had my systems, my processes. Um, and I realized you actually have to then go out and sell. And yeah. that, was, that was not my, my strong point. Um, and when speaking to a mutual friend of ours who, who introduced us, he said, why don't you ask Bo for a bit of advice? And, you know, we used to go to the, the pub, uh, we used to go to the sheaf and, and discuss, right. yeah, and discuss, you know, what, what, what I should be doing. And, and eventually, once I'd fully explained the, the business to Bo, he got absolutely excited and said, well, maybe I should join. Um, and, and that's how it came about. Right. And it sounds like it's working. It's so. worked great, yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk a bit about the ESX. Um, I mean, there was rumors this week that they're going to clamp down on these small cap listings. Uh, yes. You know, so first of all, what's your view on that? Do you think uh, the ASX is a place for small caps? Um, it's something we've avoided. Um, I think it, it works for, for certain groups who, who've done it. I've had friends who've done it, and it's worked very well for them. I think it's, I think it's a very difficult place to be. I think you can get lost, um, and as a result, it's, it's not necessarily the best option to take. Um, we've been fortunate to have uh, you know, amazing venture capital partners and private equity partners who've, who've been able to back us. And I think if that's at your disposal while you're at an early stage and, and still proving out your model, um, it's not exactly clear what next year is going to look like. We, 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 we believe it's better to stay private for as long as possible. Um, however, it's, you know, it's something certain groups are doing. Uh, it's working for some. Yeah. Um, I think not as well for others. So you, so you wouldn't exclude this as a potential path, get an IPO and get liquidity? And I think in the future we, we definitely look at, at an IPO as an option. Yeah. Um, as I said, we, we're growing exceptionally quickly, and I think capital markets are a great way to raise equity. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's something in, in an evolution. So yeah. we're not in a rush, rush to get there. Yeah, because I mean, when you look at the startup landscape, I mean, this is more particular in the, the, the U.S. I mean, mm. the, this concept of a dry bubble. I mean, there's so many billion-dollar companies, but none of them are liquid. I mean, Uber, yes, 50, 60 billion. Uh, Snapchat, Dropbox. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that how big a problem is this that there's no liquidity coming out of this valuation increase? I think it's a challenge. I mean, there's been a, a lot of cheap money that got pumped into the, the global market, and I think that's created a, a lot of startups, um, especially in the U.S. But I think all that's happening is, you know, the, you know, there was an influx of startups, but there's been some amazing businesses that have been built. I mean, Uber's a, just a spectacular company. Yeah. Although it's not at a point where it wants to IPO and they've been able to do round after round, I think it's, it's, these are still great businesses. So I don't think there's, there's a huge challenge for, for Uber except for the fact that some people might want to, you know, um, turn their stock into, into cash. Um, but in terms of Uber's success, I think they're, they're still able to raise money. They're, they're still growing like crazy. And still, amazing success story. Yeah, uh, look, I don't think, and I, I personally don't think the problem exists so much here. I mean, like you're seeing no. Atlassian, I mean, Atlassian is listed. Red Bubble came to market. Yes. Uh, cargo wise, I mean, there's some great businesses yeah. coming out and liquidity coming back in. Um, so, uh, when we caught up for lunch recently, I, I kind of uh, likened you to a cuckoo. You know, so you, you'll basically swoop in in someone else's nest when, when they're not looking. So, I mean, tell us about your office move and how you ended <laughs> up moving six times in five years. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we, we, we first started off in, a, in an office in, in Double Bear. Um, it, was, it was sort of a... Is that like your bedroom or is this... No, 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 it was a real office. It was, right. it was, self, it was kind of like a self-created incubator. So we, we got together with uh, a few friends, um, all had small businesses. We all 
moved into this this tiny little space, and I had my my one little office, and uh, I still laugh. We had hired our our first employee, Shalki, um, who's who's still with the business today. Yeah. And we were in this tiny space, and the office was so small uh, that I had to have her desk facing the wall away from me because it was just too tight to actually be be staring into each other's eyes. So it was it was it was really that size, and um, you know we used to have our sales team and just just put people in the middle of this incubator and then just just start calling in in, in the middle of everything. So, um, but. We've never wanted to, to overextend ourselves in, in terms of a lease. So we, we started off in that. Um, we then moved to uh, an office in, in Alberta Street um, where there was actually a, a, another startup who had taken a, an extra space that they were planning on moving into. Um, Alberta Street Square, is that? Uh, it's in Surrey Hills. Okay. Yeah. And we, we took an office from uh, another startup who was, who was going to expand. And it gave us a chance to sublet for a year, and we didn't want to plan more than a year ahead in terms of office space. And we've just continuously done that and, and moved from office to office. Yeah. And you're in a pretty cool office now. I mean, you took, is that we're in an amazing office yeah. now, yeah. So we, we actually moved into uh, an office in, in Yurong Street. Yeah. Uh, we took over a, a, an advertising agency that, that had a beautiful fit out. Uh, it was actually an interesting piece of luck because... They'd set up an advertising agency in a, to create like a very collaborative space. Um, and funny enough, worked exceptionally well for Prosper. So although we're a finance company, the, the way we ran the business um, isn't a very collaborative way. And we, we're just lucky to just move into this fit out and just save a fortune of money. Right. So one of the stories you were telling was about, I can't remember which office iteration it was in, but the startup that was in there before just showering their staff with... You know, free chocolates and breakfast and water and all the yeah. rest of it, and you're like, nah, we're doing none of that. And so, and I think that's a, an important distinction. Yeah. And you touched on this is that you know, you know, with my Amazon hat on, we have this concept of frugality as well, which is you know, and it's not just about money; it's about time and mm. you know, a scarce resource makes you more disciplined. Absolutely, and I think look, fortunately, we're in a position now where we do have a bit more money and we can provide some of those things. But but right at the start, yeah, it was a, it was a bit tough. I mean, we were we sort of felt like the mean bosses where, you know, we were sort of watching every cent and, you know, the guys next door to us had, uh, before they raised a bit of money that expanded around the whole world, uh, you know, they were having drinks and, and, and all these huge perks for their staff and, you know, we were walking every day seeing that and, you know, we kind of felt like the Grinch. But um, but it, it served us well. I mean, it, it, it ended up, you know, we've we've obviously gone on to, to a bit of success um, and, and every dollar we saved we were able to, to either reinvest in, in, in hiring more people or you know, re expanding our technology build, and um, it, it was absolutely the right way. And if we'd done it again, we, we would have done it the same All way. Right, cool. All right, look, I, I've got a couple more questions, and then uh, we got one from that was pre-announced, uh, and then we'll take questions from the floor. Um, so Tech Sydney, um, yes, th there's a new group again. It was in the news this week. Uh, you know, put put Sydney in the map, and your photo mm. was 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 in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're a busy guy, so why did you want to join Tech Sydney? What's in it for you? I mean, that was the first meeting, so we went to go learn a little bit more about what it's about. Um, I actually just think it's a great initiative. Um, they, they're trying to get the right people in the room. And I think Australia as an economy, as we, we move away from a mining economy, we have a, you know, an exceptionally talented and, and educated group of people in this country. And I think if we can invest in technology, there's, there's no reason why we can't become a global player. And you think it's important to keep that in a hub like Sydney? Um, or concentrated in a hub like Sydney? I think concentration helps. I think if you, if you look at around the world where, where it's worked best, if you look at places like um, Silicon Valley, you look at Tel Aviv, um, I think when you can, when you can condense um, you know, people into a, into a smaller space, 
um, it, it just it, it creates more sort of serendipitous relationships. Yeah. Um, and I think Sydney just doesn't have that tech hub as it stands today. I mean, I know when we went looking for a space, there wasn't a technology area that we thought of. I mean, we, we went to Surrey Hills, uh, we're now in Yurong Street, but there's, there's never been a place where we've thought it would be great to be here and, you know, we can, we can meet and mingle with, with other companies like us. Um, and I think Tech Sydney is taking that and, and other initiatives and, and trying, to, yeah. trying to actually put, put Sydney on the map. Okay, so last question from me and sort of linked back to that whole innovation, no, you know, digging stuff out of the ground and selling to the Chinese is not a sustainable environment. <laughs> uh, the current government, are you a believer, non-believer, and who are you going to vote for? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. But I mean, I'm definitely voting for Turnbull. Um, I think he's, I think he's fantastic. I know he's been getting a, a bit of bad press at the moment, but um, I think he's he's a great leader, and I think he does hold innovation at heart. And I think we're going to see some some of these initiatives come through after the election if if he wins. Yeah. Um, and I think I think it's great that governments at least talking about the topic. I think it's become front of mind. Um, nothing concrete's come out yet. But um, I'm, I'm absolutely for Turnbull, and I think he'll do amazing things. Yeah, cool. All right, one more of which came in from the floor. So I'm going to probably paraphrase this. So Winnie Huang, or did you hear Winnie? Oh, hey. <laughs> so um, you've got VCs uh, on board, and often VCs don't necessarily align with the exact views <laughs> of the, the, the company. So uh, when a VC and you disagree, how are you going to solve this one? Um, it's, a, it's a good question. I think... You know, we've always been exceptionally lucky, um, but I think we've also made our, our own luck in that space. Whenever we've taken on a, a venture capital partner, we've always been exceptionally clear up front what our plan was, what our vision was, um, and they've always bought into that. Um, and they've always allowed us to run the business. So we've been exceptionally lucky, and they've always given us enough rope and put enough trust in us to say, we actually trust these people to, to run the business. And, and we've lost some investors along the way. I mean, there was a, a core decision we had to make a few years ago about whether we we're going to move into a, a marketplace model or not. And I was sending Anna when we walked over this morning. Um, and we chose not to. Uh, and that eliminated some of the investors that we were looking at in our, in our venture capital round. But that ended up working really well for us because all the people who ended up putting money into us um, believed in our, our model. Um, and as a result, we've just had less, less discussions. In saying that, um, we've been fortunate to have experienced and, and, and expert advisors and, and investors. So when they talk, we do listen. Um, and we, unless we can make a really strong argument on why we write, um, you know, we, we, we're happy to take their advice on board. Okay, shall we uh, move to some questions? I think we've got a mic over here from, from Sue. But uh, who wants to kick off our questions? We've got about 15, 20 minutes. First question is always the hardest, like, good work over there. Yep. I'll give them a question, Greg, but I think um, for a lot of the um, younger guys who are starting to start their own businesses, mm. uh, I was always amazed at what you did in terms of bootstrapping your way into this business. I think it'd be good just to give an insight of how you just jumped on a plane to New York and then right. came back with yep. a complete relationship with the fintech business that you then turn into your own. Yep, yep, absolutely. Thanks, Greg. Uh, so uh, probably the thing we, we didn't touch on is, is when I started the business, um, I knew absolutely nothing about finance. Uh, so so it, was, uh, it was something I had well, to... Well, you said being an accountant. I mean, that... Well, I, I knew a little bit about accounting, yeah, okay, but yeah. not, nothing about lending. <laughs> okay. Sorry, so it's probably to be more clear. 
So it was, it, it was something we had to, to solve pretty quickly from how, how are we going to really quickly build a, a technology stack when we didn't know the technology we needed for the product we needed, um, and, and how was I going to learn about really speed up my learning in finance so we, we didn't have school fees that, that broke the business. Um, and what, we ended up do, what I ended up doing was um, phoning around the world and, and looking for, a, for an international partner to, to leverage their, their, their technology. Um, and we ended up finding a, a group in New York called Strategic Funding, um, and, and as Greg said, we cold called them, um, went over there and said, I didn't realize how ridiculous it was at the time, but we said to them, hey, you know, why not expand into Australia, and you know, it's just me, and I don't have any money, but like, <laughs> it's going to work great. Um, and amazingly, they, they let us do it. So you know, it, was, it, it allowed us to, to expedite our launch. It allowed us to immediately get out there and, and just start selling instead of you know, really focusing on, on, on just the technology piece and how to build. What we did realize at a later point was you need to own your own technology eventually. But fortunately, we'd learned all our mistakes while leveraging um, someone else's technology. So when we went to build our own, um, we knew what to build. So it was a bit of luck. Um, and as, as Greg said, I guess just, just getting on the plane and, and going over there kind of, kind of solved the problem. All right. Cool. Uh, back right. Banks have been lending for obviously a very long time. Were you ever worried that they would decide to encroach in this space? Like obviously they have the ability to deploy marketing sales at a grand scale into, mm. into the space that you currently in. How do you like handle that fear um, Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's you know it's it's still a space that the banks are, are watching very closely. I think I think the the advantage for us is we're, we're quite established. Um, we've already got you know four and a half years worth of data, um, and in fact, we're, we're probably the leaders in, in, in knowledge and data on, on small business lending because we and unsecured small business lending because we're the only ones who've, who've done it. Um, so we look at the banks as um, a partnership opportunity rather than a than a threat, um, and we feel we can you know the, the pace the prospect can move at with with technology but by not being a bank. Um, actually allows us to do things they can't. Um, so in fact, it's actually we, we we look at the banks as a as an opportunity. All right. Who else? <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, go with Austin. All right. Let's take Austin first, and then Justin. So, so Greg, obviously. Um, because your business cashes your product. Yes. So when you were fundraising in the early days, was there a sort of delineation in the source of funds between the cash you needed to grow the business versus the cash you needed to come in to lend the product to make a marginal too? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. You, you have to separate the two. Uh, we, we, we talk about working capital and, and inventory capital because inventory capital is essentially our stock. Um, and you don't need a huge amount of working capital to necessarily start a finance business, but what you do need is a, is a huge amount of, of inventory capital to, to build anything of scale. So uh, we were fortunate in the beginning to have a partner who provided both. Um, that, that can be quite rare. Um, and over time, it's, it's, it's split out. And, and, and as you get into larger numbers, um, generally you'll find it's there's people who specialize in debt and there's people who specialize in, in equity. Um, and I think our, our move into securitization um, really allowed us to, to build a, a scalable um, platform for, for debt. All right, and Justin? Uh, Greg, you said you've been effectively learning through lending, learning mm. by your mistakes. That sounds um, 
what's your experience being with, with bad debt and how do you manage that? Um, I mean, we've been fortunate. I mean, we, we started off fairly conservatively. I think, you know, it's generally scorecards are built or, you know, the way, the way you, you, you learn who's good and bad is, you know, after years and years, you, you see it, what the result is and then you, you work backwards. I think the problem for us was we had to lend um, and, then, and then see what happened in the future. Uh, we were lucky in the sense that our product um, has somewhat of a shorter term. So we actually learn at a, at a very quick pace. Um, and at this point, we actually take payments every day. So, so we have a, a constant learning curve where we get to see, well, if you miss a payment, we now know what that means. Um, and we can learn at a pace far faster than, than most lending products. So it, it essentially becomes your R&D. And you have to see it that way. And you have to mitigate your, your, your risk and, and, and not take um, bets you can't. You can't back up, um, but the the quicker you sort of realise that that in lending, you know, the bad debts are, are just a, a learning experience. Um, you know, the easier it is to get to sleep at night. And, and just a follow up from that uh, engineering question: so, how much of that learning is human based, i.e., guys analysing, and how much is going to be machine learning? Um, I think you know a, a fair amount of it is 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 on scorecarding. Um, you can use machine learning in a lot of other parts of lending, but in scorecarding, a lot of it is you know a human being sitting down with analytics. Um, you know, I think you know, the algorithm that is our brains is, is very complex yeah. and, and quite hard to, to rebuild. And I think learning can be exceptionally dangerous. I think if you're allowing pure machine learning um, algorithms to, to make all your learning decisions, I think that can be quite dangerous. Okay. Andrea? Um, there's, a reason, there's a reason, obviously, that the big banks went in your space. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that was the opportunity for us was in the finance space. There was just conventional wisdom um, in the sense that we we came in with the, the the belief that that most businesses are good. Most people want to pay you back, um, and then we, we we tried to work out ways to solve the problem of how do we mitigate our risk. Um, and essentially, what it came down to was we, we didn't throw away all the previous learnings. I think you know banks have been around for a long time. People have been lending for you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. So we, we didn't want to get rid of all those learnings. So what we were able to do is take those traditional learnings and, and overlay it with uh, less traditional data. So, you know, you can use things like there's a fortune amount of, of information now just, just on a Google search. Um, you know, we were able to, to use people's bank statements and actually look at what was going on in their, in their behavior and their bank statements. Um, and so by, by using technology to, to gather a lot more data to make a decision, um, we could do things that the banks weren't doing. And then it just came down to, to test and learn. We, we actually went out and we lent, um, and we made some mistakes. And as a result, we've, we've built a, a proven track record um, that's, that's worked really well for us. Awesome. Dan? Uh, so lending, especially short-term lending, has had some reputation issues over the last few years, um, especially things like payday lending. How have you addressed those sort of challenges yeah, absolutely. I, I think we're, we're very much far removed from payday. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, um, I actually do have some, some issues with payday lending myself. Um, it's an industry I've, I've looked at and, and wouldn't go into personally. Um, I think we're, we're shorter term than, you know, a bank loan, for instance. And I think the reason why bank loans traditionally have been longer term is because in order for banks to make money, 
they need that longer term solution. So they need three years, four years, five years to get enough margin to actually make it profitable for them. But what we're finding is if you go out with a shorter term loan, people don't always want debt for five years. Sometimes they just want to solve their problem, be done with the debt, and not pay that, that, for, that, for that long term solution. So we, we give a value offering. We're exceptionally transparent. We say to customers, and, and we've had to be this way just to, to earn people's trust, and it's the way we'd like to be. And we go to customers and we tell them, this is exactly how much you're paying, this is when you're paying it back, this is the term you're paying it back, and you'll be done at this point. And I mean, we've got NPS scores of, of 76. It's, it's, it's sort of off the charts. So, um, and our growth sort of speaks to, to the fact that customers are, are enjoying this. Um, so we're getting a different quality of customer. Um, these are you know, small businesses. These are homeowners. These are people you know, who are the, the core of the, the Australian economy. And, and we're just providing the solution for it. But we, we are always very cautious to, to look at the, the ethics and lending. I think you always have to be asking that question of yourself. Um, uh, but we, we're very comfortable in, in the products we're offering. I think we had one in the middle here, yep. Yeah, Mike, can you just describe the customer experience? So if the hairdresser decides they need to get that, fi- that finance to buy that stock tomorrow, mm. can they use their mobile? Um, how long does it take? What's their experience? Is it, is it something that is getting, I imagine it's getting better and better, it's getting easier and easier, it's getting faster. Mm. But are you finding that you're cracking that, and the, the rate of dropout in the finance application is actually going down. Absolutely. I mean, we, it's, it's something, as you said, you, you keep getting better and better at it. Um, we're comfortable to, to take an application in, in any way, shape, or form. So we, we provide an online solution, which is, you know, five minutes end-to-end. People who don't want to, to sort of speak to a, speak to a human, it's, it's really simple for them. They can, they can complete the application. Within that, you know, we can have an answer within an hour, and you can potentially be funded the next day. So it's, it's an exceptionally fast solution. I think that at the core of what people are looking for is a very simple application. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot about how fast you can get them the money, but generally if you can get it to them the, the next day or the day after, that's not at the core of what they're looking for. They don't want the pain of going through a huge application. You know, they don't have the time. They don't have that information. So the way we make it, exceptionally simple for them is we, we make a very short application form. We only ask the questions that we can't get information elsewhere from, uh, and we look for, for digital ways of them supplying their financial information. So we're constantly improving on that. Our drop-offs are getting less and less, but we're also very big on, on customer service. So we put our phone number all over the website. If people want to call us, we want them to call us. Um, we have a strong team of trained sales agents who can actually speak to a business, understand that business. I think it's it's very important to understand that uh, for a restaurant who's, who's doing you know, a million dollars a year turnover, taking a, a $25,000 loan is, is a really large decision. Um, and often we, we have to, to truly understand that customer, and that requires a, a phone call and, and, and truly getting to the bottom of what their, their challenges are. Actually, I meant to ask this earlier. Like, do you lend to tech startups? <laughs> Unfortunately not. Um, so if, we, we, we would if you've been trading for at least a year. Okay. So, so, right. so not true, true start, not, not from day one. Um, and the reason is because they haven't yet started generating the cash flow they need to pay back the loan. So there's, you know. Right. So the super early stage, not, but, you know, even later stage, I mean, I know how hard it is as a startup. You know, oh, yeah. Like, you just can't get debt. Yep. So this is a viable option. Later so stage. Later stage, yes. Absolutely. Okay. And we do lend into the space, yeah. All right. 
Uh, yep, there's one over here. Yep. Hey, Greg. Hey, Greg. In your early days of starting your business, you talked a lot about having the right systems and processes before you're ready to go out to market with a, a minimal bulk product. Um, can you sort of elaborate a bit more for other startups? What, what are the sort of systems and processes you, you believe would be necessary to, to get started? Yes, I mean, our minimal viable product was, was me going door-to-door -door with a flyer and an Excel spreadsheet. So, um, yeah, so, so to be honest, um, it was exceptionally an MVP. Um, I, think, I think that was, again, my, my lack of experience in the finance space um, actually benefiting me is I just said, well, well let's go out and, and ask people if they want the product. Um, and truth be told, we were, we were selling the product in a, in a terrible way. I mean, I was... I'd go to Leichhardt and you walk up King Street and you hand up flyers and, and you know, people wouldn't trust you because you, you, know, you were sort of going door to door and I, I didn't really know what I was talking about. But the interesting thing was um, I started learning really quickly what their challenges were and they started telling me what they wanted. And the, the reason I knew it was going to be a great business was every single store I went into had a use for funds. Every single small business you speak to is either thinking of doing something they put off or... They've woken up in the morning and, you know, there's, there's something they need to do that day. Um, and that really excited me. So we, we learned that that's, we started in, in the most minimal way I could think of. Um, and interestingly, we, we got a few deals and, and, and that gave me the understanding that we needed a platform and, and, and what we needed from there. All right. So, how are we doing in time, Steve? All right. Uh, sorry. I just, obviously, you've grown from the early startup phase to you've, you've done quite well. It's quite a big company, but 90 people. At what point do you start um, trying to analyze your, your risk profile as a company? So, like, obviously, you can't fairly diversify portfolio, leading to a lot of different businesses, a lot of different areas, but consumer confidence turned down or we have something in the market. Is, is that something that you worry about at all? So, I, I guess there's, there's two things we look at. One is macro and one is micro. So, from a micro point of view, it's, it's really analyzing our portfolio and, and trying, to, trying to learn how to make better decisions. I think from a, from a macro point of view, um, we try not to focus on it too much. Um, I think it's exceptionally hard to predict, um, and, and generally it ends up being somewhat uh, a gut feel. Um, but in terms of, of, of the macro space, I mean, for example, we, we started learning very quickly. We saw um, issues in mining in, in WA two years ago uh, and very quickly moved out of not just the mining space, but we looked at related industries to the mining space and we're able to move out really quickly. And because of the, the, the nature of our loans, um, we were able to, to make that change fairly quickly. All right, I think we've got one, one more somewhere in the middle there. Josh. Ah, can't see him. Great. Uh, first of all, congratulations on your success. Um, so my, my question is, a, I guess, as a growing business, how much time does the executive spend looking at the future, so the regulatory changes, um, future trends, so machine learning, artificial intelligence, the impact on your business? Mm. Um, I think at this point we've got a, a, a fairly large roadmap um, that, that we're, we're very focused on just, just knocking off. So um, we've got a, a philosophy in the business of you know, start less, finish more. Um, I think the, the challenge we've had growing up is we, we used to try to do everything. Um, and as a very small business, that worked really well for us. You know, we, we, everyone took a chance, and some things worked, some things didn't. And um, I think our, our, our bigger challenge now is, is focus. Um, so we, we, we do spend a fair amount of time, obviously, looking at what's going on in the world, but we're, we're, we're spending a lot more time internally and in saying, we've got this great business, we've got these great ideas. How do we actually execute on those ideas? 
Okay, well, I think that's uh, the end of our... You, you make my job easy when you're uh, eloquent and talented, so thank you. And uh, let's all give uh, Greg a round of applause.